You're listening to the Wild Wellness Podcast. Thank you for showing up. I'm your host, Jenny, and everything I offer you here is to help you live and sweat in sync with nature. It's especially for the wild, the women into living their dreams, because I believe you can reach your goals without sacrificing your well being, and that you're here to live this one wild life. So let's go. In this episode, I'm joined by registered dietitian Maya Aluwalia, who specializes in women's health, perinatal nutrition, and pediatrics. Maya supports families from preconception, during pregnancy, and postpartum, where, as she says, it gets fun with introducing solids and picky eating. She launched My Balanced Plate recently, a placemat for children to teach balanced meals and hunger and fullness from a young age building the next generation to love their relationship with food and their bodies. So Maya is an RD. I'm a fitness coach. And we wanted to share this conversation with you about what it looks like to have a flexible and a personalized approach to both workouts and food. So a lot of you may have heard of something called intuitive eating and also maybe even intuitive movement, but Since Maya's here and is the expert on the food side of things and on nutrition, I would love for you to just glean from what she has to share on intuitive eating. And then in this conversation, it's going to be kind of fun because she's actually going to um, chat with me and I'll share my insights on intuitive movement um, in the second half of this conversation. So we're both going to give you what we know, what we want you to know about this concept of really being flexible and personalized with your approach. So Maya, what would you say if someone asked you, what is intuitive eating? How would you describe it? Yeah. So um, I find intuitive eating is a buzzword right now, but a lot of people don't really know what that means or, you know, don't necessarily know what that means in terms of where it came from. Mm -hmm. So really this philosophy of intuitive eating actually started um, years ago because a lot of dietitians who are or were working with the BMI being kind of this idea of like where nutrition recommendations came from, realized that when they were working with eating disorder patients, it was no longer appropriate. Um, And so now over the years that has kind of progressed into this Um, approach that a lot of dietitians, including myself, will utilize in practice. And as a whole, intuitive eating really just means like being in tune with your hunger and fullness cues and eating in tune to them. So I always refer back to the fact that babies are born intuitive eaters. And so when they're first born, whether, you know, they're breastfeeding or formula feeding, they know when they're full and they push away or they know when they're hungry and they start crying or they kind of go for attention. Um, And even as they start solid, you know, those cues that you're looking for, like that they're looking at your food and leaning towards your food and things like that are all just signs of intuitive eating. So we're really born as intuitive eaters from a young age, but over life, there's things like, um, you know, the environment that we're in, how we're raised, other factors that play a role in changing our eating habits. Um, And so really like as a basis, intuitive eating is just really eating in terms in cue of your hunger and fullness cues, um, which kind of sounds super easy, but it's not for a lot of us because through life and through years, we have, you know, adjusted how we've ate and our life has got busy. And so we're not able to really 
honor those hunger and fullness cues because there's so much happening around us. Yeah, and it's like we take on the either messages or sort of the outside rules of what we're supposed to do rather than listening to our own body, which is so similar to workout stuff. That's why we're having this conversation together, I think. But yeah, would you yeah. say to your clients that you see that? And then I guess if someone's thinking, okay, well, why would I eat intuitively? I can see where that would maybe be more freeing and feel good. But um, what are some of the benefits of it? Yeah. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I think even I had a client that I started working with yesterday and she was talking about how she's worked with so many practitioners and that they've been so restrictive to the point where like, she's like, I feel like so free and flexible with what I'm eating, but yet still, it doesn't mean that eating intuitively means you just eat whatever. Right. I think a lot of people have this idea that eating intuitively means we're going to go eat burgers and pizza and whatever every day. Maybe there's some days that your body is telling you that that is what you want. But there will be days where if we really listen to our hunger and fullness cues and listen to what our body is actually telling us we need, there'll be days where it actually says, no, you need vegetables right now, or I'm just feeling that smoothie right now, right? So I think, um, you know, a lot of the clients that I've worked with, it's, it's really awesome to see them go from like feeling that they need to not pretend, but put terms on like their diet in order to fit this like criteria. So for example, um, the client that I was working with yesterday, gluten and lactose were things that she's been told that are bad for her. And so um, she had, she basically told herself that she was gluten and lactose intolerant when really it was just her trying to, you know, lose weight, let's say as an example, right? Which is often what a lot of clients um, will come to me for. But again, I changed that into this idea of like, we want to create sustainable changes. And part of that is also, you know, creating these changes that we can um, maintain. And when we feel like we're stuck, then we're more likely to break what we're stuck into. And then that's where we go and binge. And then it's like this vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. So really, um, you know, even when I think of movement too, like, I think there's like this huge, like all or nothing approach where it's like, I either need to do like five workouts every day or five um, workouts every week, or like, I can't do any, I just don't have the time or capacity. And I think that's like the same often with a lot of people will come to me. It's like, I either eat healthy or like, I feel like I just messed up and I need to, you know, go and eat whatever I want because I've wrecked that day. And I think every meal every day is like a new opportunity to really listen to your hunger and fullness and be in tune to that um, and find that. So when it comes to like those benefits, I think, again, a lot of people think that that means like, oh, I can eat whatever I'm going to eat garbage or whatever. Right. But to me, really, it's about listening to those hunger and fullness cues. And when you do do that and you can honor that, you actually end up having a better, more positive relationship with your body, yourself. And then there's also that decreased anxiety around food. So we don't have those food fears anymore. Um, as well as we're just able to really, um, you know, often people that will come to me for weight loss realize that they actually lose weight from honoring and listening to their hunger and fullness because they're not having those binge episodes anymore where they'll restrict themselves and they'll go have those quote unquote cheat meals or um, cheat days, right? Mm -hmm. I yeah. That the question. <laughs> oh yeah. For me, it just reminds me of, um, a couple things, body awareness, because I feel like that's sort of what we're 
dancing around saying are kind of what this is about yeah. too. And for me, having a history of disordered eating in my teens and early twenties, I can relate mm-hmm. to that. Like being able to get through that, come out of it, heal from that was all about me getting in tune to why I was actually eating and how it was linked to emotional factors and Mm -hmm. not always physiological factors and also how different foods affected me, you know, like how I felt after I had sugar and things that I knew it's like, I had this, it's interesting because it, it's a mix. I think of maybe what society said, well, this isn't a good food. This is a bad food. But then it also turned out that it actually didn't make me feel that good either. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's like when I, when I took on the belief or the, the new realization of why that didn't really align with my philosophy about food to consume it, that's when it helped. But when it was a rule, yeah. like it was just a labeled bad food, then that didn't matter so much. So what, yeah, what really pulled me through was realizing what my foundational beliefs were around food. And it was all about yeah. going back to nature and realizing that like nature has the best food, the stuff that's packaged and processed isn't what my body wants. And that was so freeing because it simplified all of the confusing diet, you know, culture paradigms, all of these different things I had heard, but it, it is like that fine balance between um, the rules and guidelines and maybe having structure versus feeling very free to make that choice. And I think it depends on where that structure is coming from. Is the structure coming from something outside of you or is it coming mm-hmm. from your own inner beliefs about how you want to feel your body? Yeah. Um, I love referring to, there's two amazing workbooks um, on intuitive eating, one for teens and one for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are really great because um, really, again, like what you're saying, like, is it coming from within or is it an external factor? Um, and so I think like when I even work with my clients, a lot of the questions and prompting questions that really help us discover why we feel this way about what we do with our body and our relationship with food. Often it is external things. Um, so it could be things like how, like, I don't know if you're, maybe your parents had an influence on, um, you know, telling you that you need to finish everything on your plate in order to walk away from the dinner table. Yeah, really or common, like, right? <laughs> depending on, yeah, or like, depending on where you grew up, like, um, you know, I have clients that have, were from Brazil, for example, and their parents, just the perception of that you needed to have a thin body to be healthy, right? And so being in a larger body um, meant that they were bad, like they they were bad or that um, they weren't in their optimal state, right? And so all those external pressures and factors can can really take a toll on us in our long-term, you know, mental, physical health, and then our relationship with food. And I really like how you even touched upon too, like what you realized felt good and not, right? Because that's again, like you having that inner intuition and being like, oh, I ate this and this is how it made me feel. And this is why I want to eat this again, or this is why I maybe don't want to eat this again or change the portion in which I eat that in, right? Mm -hmm. So again, like it doesn't mean like we're going to go have a free for all in what we're eating, but it's really listening to how we feel after we eat those meals and what it's, what our body's telling us. Yeah. And just that I think gives, it's like, you're, you're giving yourself more love in that way. And just that act, just that practice, it like pulls you into where you really want to be and 
I, I can hear that fear. I can hear that concern coming up too for people of like, well, if I just listened to my body intuitively with what I was eating, I'd just eat all of the junk and all yeah. the stuff that I feel like isn't the best fuel for my body. But like you said, I, mm-hmm. I do like from my experience too, it's just when you take that step into like basically saying body, I'm listening. I love you. I'm listening, you know, what, and you really have that, um, that care and concern that you're giving yourself it it's like not possible for the two to exist together for, yeah. for long-term, you know, like you might go through a little dance for a while, but at least that's, I think that was my experience. Yeah. And even, um, you know, the workbook that I'm referring to by Ellen Tribble, um, I can share it with you too. Yeah. And we can link to those in, like, in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, even the whole philosophy of the whole of intuitive eating is founded in these 10 principles for nourishing a healthy mm-hmm. relationship with food. And a lot of that doesn't even relate to what we eat, right? And right. so up until really that 10th relation, or 10th principle, we're not even necessarily talking about what we're eating and the nutritional value of that. We're talking about all these other factors, um, such as, you know, where like external factors and why we have this relationship with food that we do. And then as well, um, you know, how that plays like a role in our current current dietary intake and, and our habits and how, again, like how does that make us feel like you were mentioning? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, like you said, we can link to those workbooks in the show notes and you've started to talk yeah. a little bit about it, but if someone wanted to walk away with like a couple practical things to practice just today, just to take like a first mm-hmm. step in this, what are some of the things that you put into practice when you're intuitive eating, like how does it actually look? Yeah. So one thing I really like emphasizing is taking time and space to eat away from distraction. So that could be, you know, away from work. Nowadays, a lot of us are working from home, living from home, sleeping at home, doing everything at home. So, um, you know, really taking that, even if it's 10 minutes to walk away from your desk and just eat in your kitchen or eat outside, um, and really being in tune to that process. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, again, like honoring what hunger means to you and, and trying to cue into that. And again, like through time, we may not know what that feels like anymore. And so that's where working with someone one-on-one can be really helpful. But, you know, like you touched on, like there's a difference between emotional hunger and physical hunger. And so learning that, um, again, and relearning that can be really helpful. And so, you know, kind of as like a starting point, I always say, like, listen to when your body's telling you hunger. A lot of people I find will work with me. And before they start working with me, it's like they would ignore their hunger Mm -hmm. because like, I shouldn't be eating right now, or like, it's too late to eat, or like, I just ate, right? And your body's that physical hunger is a sign that you need to eat, right? And so honoring that and listening to that and nourishing those those times, I think is really important. Um, and then also knowing what fullness feels like as well, right? So does fullness feel like you're at a point where you want to like go to sleep because you feel so full? Or does it feel where you feel satisfied and nourished and it's able to give you that energy that you need to kind of continue going on, right? And really trying to figure out what that looks like. Um, I have a freebie on my, my um, website too that we can link in the show notes that walks people through the 10 principles and the hunger and fullness scale. So that may be a good resource as well for people um, yeah, to, for to sure. start. Yeah, 
Definitely. That's, I mean, just those things you shared are a really great starting point and they sound simple, but like you said, mm -hmm. putting them into practice, it may not be that simple. I like, as soon as you said about the working from home and, you know, um, eating away from your desk and things like mm -hmm. that's something that I've really had to be intentional about because it's so easy for me to just be in a flow of wanting to finish something and then, you know, getting hungry, time to eat, need to feel my body and walking yeah. away and um, doing it outside if at all possible and not taking my laptop, not taking my phone, <laughs> just eating <laughs> and just doing yeah. that. And I'm not perfect at it. Like sometimes I'm just like, you know, even if it's, even if I'm listening to something like, oh, I'm going to listen to this podcast while I'm eating, like that's still, you know, that's not the extreme of like doing something else, I don't think, but it still is something else. Um, yeah. So, and I think it's, it's so all about like practice, just eating. <laughs> yeah. I think it all comes back to like being present in that moment. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think we can all say that we've been there, like what is, whether it's like eating crackers or even like, you know, nutritious food, like let's say veggies and hummus, right. And being distracted with working and then realizing that like you ate a lot more than you probably would have. And then you end up feeling over full. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that all comes back to the fact that like, it's hard to be present when we're doing something else. Right. So yeah. it's normal to overeat or not eat the, the amount that you need that um, is going to make you feel satisfied. So that's why I just say like, even if it's 10 minutes, five minutes, just take that time to like walk away from whatever you're doing to just really be present during mealtime, I think is really important. Yeah, it is. That's so good. There's so many parallels with movement. <laughs> so yeah. we can dive into that next, unless there's anything else that I didn't ask you or that you feel like is important to share about the intuitive eating and really being flexible and personalized with your approach to food. Is there anything else? No, I think just like you highlighted, like that flexibility and personalization is really what's key when working with myself as a dietitian, because, you know, there is that flexibility and freedom, but then also that your individualized needs are met. And I think um, I love that. Those were like the two words that you kind of like started the conversation with. Yeah. Makes sense to me too. <laughs> and yeah. We both have experience with it, so. Yeah, so kind of moving on to workouts um, and your expertise, I'd love to know like what you define as intuitive movement and what that means to you. Yeah, it's very, it's very similar in a lot of ways, I think, to intuitive mm -hmm. eating, listening to your body's cues. Um, to me, I guess I would describe it, though, as also listening to your body's rhythms, because I look at it through such a lens of cyclical and seasonal movement, especially for women who have a monthly cycle that they can see the differences from day to day, from week to week. And it's not always like this week is different than last week. Sometimes it's the first half yeah. of the week is different than the second half of the week. It's our physiology is changing throughout each monthly cycle. And so because we are different that often, and this of course, goes back to the food thing, because I was thinking about it when you were talking, as far as like our hunger signals, like in the luteal phase of the cycle, you are going to want more calories, you're going to want more um, food, because your body needs it. And it's the same. It's like, I joke, I may be jumping ahead here. But it's like the, I want to eat more and work out less phase. And some women have a hard time with that, because it goes sort yeah. of against what we think we should be doing. But it's all about I think having awareness of the fact that first we are cyclical because just that knowing can really help to understand the fact that 
you're going to feel different and it's perfectly okay. And there's things that you can do to adjust and, you know, not, that's not even mentioning the things that could influence us from moment to moment, having a stressful circumstance that particular week or, um, you know, having an illness of some sort that we're recovering from or whatever it may be, it's, we have to adjust and be flexible, which is why I chose that word. And it means so much more than obviously just being able to stretch your hamstrings and touch your toes and flexibility. But I think in fitness, like that is such an important concept all around, because to me, it means adapting and knowing how you can do things different throughout the day. Like it's tempting to just check it off the list, did the workout, did the exercise, but it's kind of like going through that rushed lunch that you have at the computer with your food. Like you're just eating and then all of a sudden it's done. It's you're like, oh, like, did I do that? (laughs) How much did I eat? Where, where is my head right now? You know, you're not present. So I think workouts can be like that too. We can do them without presence, without um, body awareness. And sometimes just, really be feeling like not like our best and wondering why. And a lot of times if we shift something in the way that we're moving, that can really help too. So I like to say like there's a balance between having a plan, having that structure to follow because it definitely is helpful to have goals and to have some intention around what you want to do for moving your body, but not falling in love with it to the point that you're not flexible. Yeah, um, I think like where we even connected was because I listened to your podcast episode on period party Mm -hmm. and it just really hit me because I was like, wow, this is stuff that like, I feel like, and I've been doing a lot of work, even just learning about my cycle. And I think this is stuff like I should have known 10 years ago, but it's crazy that, um, you know, it's never really too late to start, but it's crazy that like, these are things that um, I really feel like so many women should know but there's just not enough information out there. So I'm so glad that this is a space that you are working in um, and really advocating for. I think it's so important, but even, um, you know, like, as you mentioned, movement throughout your cycle can differ. And I think even from what I've heard too, and I don't know if this, this is on your podcast episode or somewhere else, but how research is really predominantly done on men because it's hard to do data on women because if we're thinking of like progressive overload over like a week or a month, well, we're changing every day, right? And different parts of our cycle and different parts of the day. So it's really hard to, um, you know, create data on that. Is that something you would agree with? Yeah, it was interesting because I'm not sure if I shared it on that podcast or another one, but I know I've talked about it before of how, when I was doing my master's research for my degree in sports psychology, and I was wanting to study women and we were going to be collecting like some physiological data with different workouts. And basically the professor, you know, my, um, my guide, he shared that it would be better to just have men as a population to work with in that study because of the fact that women's cycle sort of throw off the data. You know, I don't know if those were the exact words, but that was essentially the message that was sent. And like at the time, it didn't even really occur to me. Like it sort of was like, oh, that's, you know, I that makes sense, sure. And I didn't, you know, push back at all. But if I had been me now in that situation, that would have been so interesting to 
um, have the conversation around why it might actually be a good idea to study the cycles <laughs> within, which is probably what my project would have been on um, in retrospect. Yeah. You know, you have different interests as you go along, but yeah, it. I think it's it's important to look at it like, yeah, let's study those things and and look at how we are different throughout the cycle rather than just need to have this continuous data. And it, I think it speaks to the fact that we are in a culture that's very linear and very linear minded. And also, um, I don't know what the word would be, but like constant summer kind of habit. Yeah. Like we, we want a constancy to things. We want a consistency to things. It's like that idea with the hormones of like, no, don't study women because they change all the time. Let's just have something that's constant we can rely on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like not, there's a lack of acceptance of the fact that there will be times of more yin, times of more yang, times of more hustle, times of more rest. And yeah. it's like, we live in that constant summer, constant hustle. When I say summer activity to me, that's like the, the outward high energy, you know, the most active time. Whereas it's like, yeah, winter, that's just not such a good thing. It's too much rest and too much downtime for our culture, you know? So those are the messages yeah. that I think we're pushing up against within ourselves when we struggle with, well, what do I actually do? Because what I feel like doing today isn't probably what I should be doing. And I'm putting air quotes around should because yeah, like we have that in our heads of what we should do, but it's all goes back to, I think a lot of the programming that we have around what workouts need to look like and um, how intense they need to be and how long they need to be. And wherever we gather that along the way, it's, it's good to look and consider where did I come up with my beliefs about workouts? Like, where did I come up with the fact that walking is an exercise? Where did I adopt the belief that if it's not at least 30 minutes, it's not a workout. Where did yeah. I adopt the belief that if I'm not sweating, it wasn't hard enough. Like any of those things, those might be your belief or not, if you're listening, but um, whatever they are, they're likely something similar to that. And so it's just good to ask, yeah. where did that come from? And do I really believe that? Is that really true? Or is there another possibility now that I'm expanding my knowledge about this? Yeah. And even when I work with my clients, I ask about movement that they're doing. And I'm very intentional with the fact that I say like movement and walking. And I'm always really just make sure that I'm not um, using words where they like think that only exercise and, you know, working out doing like a 45 minute workout counts. Right. Right. Um, to me, even getting out again, like that 10 minute break to take some steps during the day is movement. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and you have to start somewhere. Yeah, I think I mean, this is kind of another tangent, but I think we we need to consider where we can bring more daily movement into our bodies, into our lives, because it, a lot of us are so much in that, like where we sit at a computer all day and then the only movement we really do is that one hour workout. And studies are showing that that's practically just as bad as being sedentary. I mean, it's, it's better than being sedentary. Maybe that's not, that's the extreme, but let's just say that it's you're if you're sitting that long, it's the sitting part that, um, yes, it's helpful that you're moving, but the sitting part actually adds something to that equation that is not helpful. And it would be better if we could incorporate more movement, you know, taking the stairs, 
um, taking intermittent walks. And not, not that that has to be like, oh, okay, well, instead of one hour, then I'll break it into three 20 minute segments. Not necessarily. It's more just right. where can I, where can I move more in my daily life? Where have I gone to different conveniences that require me to sit more and not move as much? And um, it's challenging sometimes with the career you might have, you know, the place you may live and all of that. But it's just yeah. it's something to think about the way that we've changed and evolved as human beings compared to our ancestors and the way that movement was such a part of their lives and how that then contributes to different dis-ease now and the things that that we're experiencing so just to yeah think about that sedentaryism and the desk and the sitting or even the standing like even my standing desk that I'm at now going from sit yeah. to stand like yeah that's a little bit helpful but um honestly even the standing desk thing you know they've studied that and it's not that much better than sitting you're still pretty sedentary you're still right. not moving or lifting or climbing or <laughs> squatting and doing those things so just yeah. finding ways to think about where you can be more aware of how you're moving throughout the day which I guess this all goes back to the intuitive movement thing because it's having awareness of the way that your body uh, is accustomed to moving wants to move like what does my body need today maybe sometimes you feel kind of restless and mentally disengaged from your work and maybe you need to go and take a quick walk. Like a lot of times yeah. I totally do that. There's days where it's harder than others for me to sit down and like do the work here in front of the screen. And yeah. um, sometimes I can take it on a walk or take it outside somewhere that it's so much more, so much more comes in for me. So much more creativity, uh, it just flows easier. And sometimes that's not possible depending on what I'm doing, but even if it's not, I'll go, I'll get up for five or 10 minutes and go do a, a, a walk, a quick walk outside or just get out yeah. and shake it up in some way. So movement in our body creates movement in other parts of our life and in our minds too. Yes, it totally does. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned too, like, you know, obviously movement will look different throughout different stages of our cycle. Hmm. Um, I work with a lot of women that have irregular cycles that have PCOS or endometriosis or some sort of hormonal imbalances that are impacting their period and their cycles. So how would you say for those, you know, that are experiencing one of those conditions, how can they move um, in, intentionally? And like, what would that look like? Yeah, this is a big question. It's important too. I've had students in my programs ask this and I actually, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, there will be soon or there is a podcast on this topic because it was just recorded and it will be published soon. But basically um, it's called how to sync with your irregular cycle. Because if you have heard me talk about working in sync with your cycle, then you might sort of start to think, okay, so from days one to five, I do this. From days six to 13, I do this. From days mm -hmm. 14 to 22, I do this. And maybe you've seen things online even where they give guidance for here's what you do in the follicular phase. Here's what you do in the luteal phase. But if you're not sure where you're at in your cycle or if you don't fit that box, that mold, then how do you practice that? How do you do it? And I think that's where this idea of intuitive movement comes in. And it's, it's a whole section in my programs of moving intuitively because we are going to be different. And it's that framework that I offer is 
as a starting point, as a guide, just yeah. to help with something to give you an idea of here's sort of the essence or the energy of these different phases of the cycle, but it's not going to always look the same. It doesn't look the same for me from month to month. You know, sometimes I'll yeah. be in the, what's supposed to be the peak energy phase of the cycle. And I will feel like just taking a total rest day on a day that I had planned to do hill sprints, you know, it's like yeah. the complete opposite. So what I think is one of the most important questions you can ask yourself is what does my body need today? And also like, what type of workout do I actually feel good about doing? And yeah. I think that it, not necessarily what do I feel like doing, but what type of workout would I feel good about doing? Because I think sometimes we have to put ourselves, how am I going to feel about this in an hour kind of thing? You know, you've been in those moments, probably Maya too, where it's like, yeah, don't really feel like doing it at the moment, but then you get 10 minutes in and you're like, I'm good. Like this feels awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad I did this. So I think sometimes we have to say, what would I feel good about doing? And and try to envision that. And that kind of leads into a second practice, which I encourage people to do a lot, which is doing that 10 minute warm up and then seeing how you feel, you know, to take the first step and decide, okay, well, am I going to do what I planned today with the hill sprints? Or is it, does it need to be like a hike and a yoga day or something shorter? And hopefully you're in a place where you can be flexible with that and kind of shift it around. If you're at the gym, there's probably lots of options there. Or if you're out doing a run somewhere, then yeah, maybe you'll do more of a run walk instead of just that hard run that you had planned, but being flexible in the moment. And then also I would say being flexible with just your week in general. So if you are planning workouts, instead of putting them into, here's what I do Monday, here's what I do Tuesday, here's what I do Wednesday, it might be really helpful. And I know this this might be difficult with classes you have scheduled and things like that. Maybe you can pocket in a few of those, but leave yourself some flexibility. And what I like to do is actually have a weekly menu. So it's like you have, I want to do this many strength training workouts, or I want to do this many runs, or I want to do this many Pilates classes. And then from day to day, you get to look at that menu and essentially pick what right. feels what you would feel good about doing that day, what your body needs that day. And that gives you a lot of flexibility too, instead of trying to um, anticipate how you're going to feel from day to day. So those are, a few I, I love that. Um, yeah. Even for me too, like I went through this phase where I kind of like when the pandemic hit, I kind of was working out more intensely and then I kind of like stopped and went like cold turkey. And then now I've been getting back into it again. And really, again, like listening to that intuition. So like today I was like, or last night I was like, well, I'm going to go for a run today. Then I woke up and I was like, you know what? I don't feel like my body wants that. So I went for two walks, right? So, but I felt, I didn't feel guilty doing that. I felt like I was listening to my body and that's what it needed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I love how you mentioned like the flexibility within the week. Cause I can remember like back when I was, you know, consecutively going to the gym, like every day I would plan out my whole week and be like, Hey, this is arm day. This is like this cardio day. Right. Mm -hmm. But then some days I wouldn't want to do that. And then like you were saying, you're not even present with that exercise and that movement. And it doesn't feel the same way after as it would, if you were able to be a little bit more present 
um, with that. So I think that definitely, like, I love that tip on that flexibility throughout the week and knowing like, okay, what did I do yesterday? Or what did I do already this week? And be like, where can I add value or, or add upon this, but not feeling like you have to fit like and do exactly what you set for yourself every day. Yeah, and I'm thinking of how, you know, this may go against some of the things that you've heard about structuring a workout plan with having like a hard day, an easy day, a harder, you know, like work day, rest day, and sort of rotating those. But since we are so different throughout the month, it's really interesting that, you know, you might have a lot of your harder workouts in the first half of the cycle in that follicular phase and then the second half is when you're taking more rest. And that doesn't mean you don't do any harder efforts, but considering the fact that you might take three rest days or um, sort of like cross train rest days, whatever you would call them, three or four around your actual beginning of your cycle, then it sort of all balances out. And, you know, it's something, it's something for everyone to experiment with, with themselves, with their own bodies. It certainly isn't going to be like a, there are certain principles that you can use to structure any kind of workout plan that you have, which is what I teach, but it's not something that, you know, I can hand you, here's the intuitive workout plan, or here's the plan for your cycle necessarily, because there's so much involved with paying attention to your own, um, your own body, tracking your own cycle, tracking your workouts, and then looking to see how you can adjust from there and knowing what your goals are and what, like why you're doing it in the first place. Why is movement important to you? So anyway, that's, that's more in, of course, what I teach in other areas, but I just wanted to give a little bit of a insight here, just for those who are curious about where would I start with being flexible and personalized in this? And obviously that's what I wanted you to share too with, with food. And I think that's so helpful. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Was there anything else like related to the intuitive movement that you wanted to kind of add there? Uh, I think just kind of like what I maybe was alluding to at the end there. And, and I think back to the stuff with food, like for people who think, well, if I just listened to my body, what if I just sat on the couch and ate stuff all day and didn't move, didn't eat the things I wanted to eat. Like they they have this fear that they won't yeah. do the things they want to do. And I, I think it goes back to that reminder that when you strengthen your body awareness and your intuition about what's right for you, and you really do honor that and start to listen to it, it's you saying, I trust you body. I trust <laughs> what the messages that I'm receiving. I trust that there's, um, you know, there's guidance here that is leading me to like for me to feel my best. And I think it gets easier as you continue to practice that. So yes, there may be some periods in the beginning where you're like struggling with maybe old patterns and old habits. And those are chances for you to opportunities, I guess, for you to notice, okay, is this just an old pattern? Is this just an old way of me doing things? Or is this really how I want to, is this really how I'm feeling now and continue to move ahead now? So I, I think it's a, it's an interesting self-reflection. Like there's a lot of, um, introspection on it for sure but trusting your body and knowing that your body will lead the way is an important piece I love that thank you yeah and um, thank you awesome. 
I so appreciate everything that you shared. And uh, yeah, for the things that you mentioned, um, those will be in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast version or if you're listening to this somewhere else, just look for the link underneath the video and also where you can get in touch with both of us. As always, thank you for being here. And if you heard something that you think might benefit someone you know, take a screenshot of this episode and share it with them. And we would love to hear from you if you have any takeaways, insights, or questions still from what we talked about in this episode. So check out the show notes where you can get in touch. And we look forward to hearing from you. Until we chat again, my friend, go live your one wild life.